Sorry, guys, I straight up like broke this microphone just now, but it's all good. It works. Um, good morning. My name is Tanner. Hey, Tanner. Um, I may not know some of you, and that's okay. It's been about a year since I've preached here. I am still on the teaching team. I just took some time off to focus on some health things. I got married. Um, I finished graduate school. Praise God. Um, so, yeah, so a lot of things have happened, but I'm excited and really glad to be back here. Um, for those of you who also don't know me, I am a teacher, and my wife tells me that I preach like I teach. So I will let you be the judge of that. If it feels like I'm talking to middle school students, it's because I do that every single day of my life. So I apologize in advance. However, hopefully you will be able to learn something today, um, whether it be from my words, the text, or the Holy Spirit speaking to you today. I hope that we are able to find something in the text that is encouraging and builds hope. Today we're going to be in Matthew 28, and I don't know about you guys, but I have a hard time with certain scriptures just because some things have been manipulated throughout my life, and some of those scriptures come back to to haunt me almost, and it feels like this can be that text for some people. Uh, We're going to be in Matthew 28, 16 through 20, which is popularized as the Great Commission. Um, But before we go into that, I want to give a little bit of context about why this is important and what is happening. So right before the Great Commission, we have resurrection morning. This is after Jesus had been crucified, he was laid in the tomb. This is what we celebrate on Easter and what we should be celebrating throughout the entire year. But this is when we gather on Easter to celebrate. And so in Matthew 28, two women, Mary Magdalene and what scripture calls the other Mary. I feel like it's a little degrading, but the other Mary were going to the tomb. They went to visit the tomb and were met by an angel who rolled away the stone and told them that Jesus was raised from the dead, just like he had said that he was going to be. And he told them to go tell the disciples to go meet Jesus in Galilee. So those two women, full of fear and excitement, ran. They sprinted, they went and, and On their way to tell the disciples, they ran into Jesus, and they fell and worshipped. And Jesus met them with the words, do not be afraid, which is such a common theme in scripture. Do not be afraid. And they went out on faith. The angel had told them they were going to meet the disciples to tell them to go to Galilee. They hadn't even seen Jesus yet. And yet they took the angel for his word, and they went. And when they met them, when they met Jesus, they fell and worshipped. Around this time, the lead priest found out about this, and so he bribed the soldiers that were guarding the tomb who kind of passed out when the angel appeared, who blames them, um, bribed them to tell the disciples that, or to tell others that the disciples had came in and stolen the body overnight. And so that is where we land today, is where they are, the disciples are meeting Jesus <clears throat> at Galilee. So if you want to follow along, the verses will be on the screen, or if you have your Bible, via Matthew 28, 16 through 20. And it says, The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus, I ask that you bless these words. I pray that 
It's not my words that are remembered, but it are yours. I ask for just a softened heart to hear this text that may be so stale in our minds and in our hearts. Lord, I ask that you will just soften our hearts to hear what you have to say to us this morning. Amen. Who in here likes being told what to do? Okay, one person. (laughs) Myself, I can't stand it. I've always hated being told what to do, whether it be from my parents, um, whether it be from a grandparent, a boss, a coach, a colleague. As I've gotten older, I've just hated it. Anybody who's had positional authority in my life, anytime they tell me to do something, nine times out of ten, I'm going to do the opposite or be extremely bitter while I do the thing they ask. Don't push the button, I'm going to push the button. So like that is me in a nutshell. I hate being told what to do. However, there is one time where I don't mind being told what to do, and it's when I don't know what to do, and especially when I'm scared. About a year ago, um, I got really sick, and there was no answers being provided at the time. We, my wife and I, girlfriend at the time, spent the night in the ER, and we were just nervous. I had loss of motor skills on the right side of my body, slurred speech. I was falling, different things presenting kind of like a stroke. And we were there and the doctors couldn't give us any clear answers. And we went home with no answers. And we didn't know what to do next. So then I had a follow-up appointment with a neurologist. And the neurologist took one look at me and he said, I know what you got. And I was diagnosed with something called occipital neuralgia, which is your occipital nerves in the back of your head flare up and your symptoms present like a stroke. And during that time, we still didn't know what to do after the diagnosis, but we were willing to listen. And so he told us some next steps to do. So we did them. And after jumping through some medical hula hoops, we were able to get the treatment we needed. And we have a plan moving forward for when this flares up. We know exactly what to do. We know exactly where to go and who to call. And it was in that moment, I knew that we needed to be told what to do because we had no idea what to do. And we found some hope in that. We found some hope in someone telling us what to do when we had no idea what to do. And I feel like that is very applicable in this text because the disciples had no idea what to do when this guy that they had followed for three years died. So we're going to look at the Great Commission, excuse me, Great Commission in a couple of different ways this morning. The first one is the Great Commission fulfilling a prophecy. So Jesus is commanding the disciples to go out and teach and baptize the nations But right before that, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And you might have the question, who gave him this authority and why? So he is the son of man from Daniel chapter 7. And Matthew tells us in chapter 9, verses 6 in the gospel of Matthew, that he is the son of man by saying, but so that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And in Daniel chapter 7 in the Old Testament, Daniel is is having this vision, this dream that God gave him. And it goes like this in chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. You can follow along on the screen. I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. 
He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. So in the Old Testament, when this is first hinted at, that there's a son of man coming who's going to have all authority, Daniel applies that authority to the son of man in the future. That is something to come. Matthew, however, right here in this text, is applying that authority in the present to the son of man. Jesus refers to himself multiple times in the New Testament as the son of man because he was speaking of his authority to those who were familiar with the Old Testament. That is why you see the son of man throughout the text and that is why all authority had been given to him. The author wants those who read the book of Daniel to rest in the fact that God's kingdom is coming through the son of man and that the earthly kingdom's suppressors and masters will crumble before the thrones of God. And we see that come to fruition in Jesus' death and resurrection. And the second reason that he is given authority is because he was raised from the dead. Jesus being raised from the dead gives him authority over life and death, and it also brings new life, therefore brings a new mission. Before the resurrection in Matthew chapter 4, verses 19, Jesus gives the disciples, before they were disciples, the command, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. After the resurrection, Jesus' mission changes a little bit, and it says, go, as you go, therefore make disciples of all the nations, teaching them everything that I have commanded you. So the, the, the command doesn't necessarily change. The focus of the command doesn't change. The way that the disciples were to do it changed. And so while the commands focus on the kingdom of heaven, the resurrection changes the mission of the disciples from accompanying Jesus on earth for his teachings to taking, taking his teachings to the ends of the earth. And so you may ask, what are those commands? What are those teachings that Jesus wants them to take? Well, Matthew has his book split into five separate parts where, one, where each of those five parts focuses on a different style of teaching, different part of teaching. And one of the ones that we are most familiar with as a church and society is the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. And so I'm going to read those for us so that we're reminded and so that we can picture ourselves hearing these teachings, hearing this command from Jesus, and then remembering these teachings that he gave. And it says, Blessed are those poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. For they will be indicates a future promise. And that future promise is fulfilled in the death and resurrection of Christ. These commands are central in his teachings of Christ because they are telling of a kingdom that is coming. And in that kingdom, the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the humble, those who thirst for righteousness, and everyone in between are blessed and shown love and mercy. And it is our job as disciples of Christ to share that message of hope with those people. You know, in my life, I try my best to see through the lens of the death and resurrection as much as I can, and I fall short of that every single day because I am human. 
But it is important to know that every single person that you encounter inside this room and outside of this room is an image bearer of Christ and deserves to be shown love and mercy. Our job as followers of Christ is to keep that at the forefront of our minds. And when we meet people, we need to be reminded that they are also worthy of sitting at the table with Christ. And that's the second lens I want us to look through, want us to look at this through. The Great Commission is building a wider table of neighbors. I would argue that one of the greatest failures of the church is to ignore the fact that eternity begins on this side of death. I'm going to say that again. One of the greatest failures of the church is to ignore the fact that eternity begins on this side of death. I think a lot of times, um, well, before we get to that, my wife and I sometimes, when we go to downtown Greenville, especially during the warmer months, we see a lot of people with megaphones yelling at us. Um, telling us we're going to hell because of my tattoos and my nose ring. Um, But also you hear that they're also telling of Jesus or trying to tell of Jesus or something, something in one another. I always ask myself, what church do they go to? And do they know that they're out here doing this? I always wonder like if, if that is, if that's possible. Gospel presentations like that are more hurtful than they are helpful because they're condemning. And not one time, in this passage, do we see Jesus telling them to go, commend, go condemn people? A lot of times this passage, the Great Commission, is used as an evangelism manifesto, but in reality, it's a reminder of relationships. In this text, the Greek language for the word go is translated as a participle, meaning that it is translated to having gone, disciple all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit indicating that this is not an imperative or a command. So if you're familiar with the English language, there are different types of ways that verbs gets, get translated and get transcribed. Participles mean ending with ing, like having gone. Imperatives are go clean your room, go do the dishes, go take the trash out. Those are very common commands I heard as a kid. Um, So I would argue that Jesus is saying, as we go, we are to disciple the individuals with whom we come in relationship with, just as he discipled the disciples. CJ says this often, that you you don't want to go to a church that you've never been to someone's, where you've never been to someone's house. Most people don't want to go to your church if they've never been to your house. You can take that a step further and say, most people don't want to go to church with you if they've never shared a meal with you. When a relationship exists, people tend to listen to you when you speak. Sharing the gospel doesn't have to be this glamorous thing that we do, but it needs to have blood on it. A gospel without blood is a gospel that grows the church, but not the kingdom. In other words, a gospel that exists just for conversion and not relationship is not the gospel of the risen Jesus. It is a gospel that has been twisted to win souls and should stay buried in the grave. No one cares about what you have to say unless they know you care about them. German theologian Jürgen Moltmann, such a cool name, Jürgen. The mission of the church is not to spread the church, but to spread the kingdom. Building a church is easy. You can get people to gather. Building the kingdom takes work. And Jesus made a way for all of us to sit and eat at the table through his death and resurrection, and he, can, he commands us to invite people to that feast. As we grow the kingdom, the church will grow, and we will continue to welcome all of those who show up. And what are some ways that we can foster these relationships? 
Well, there's something special about meeting physical needs as a pathway to meeting spiritual needs. Matthew 25, verse 40 says, Truly, I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Meeting physical needs help pave the way to meeting spiritual needs. The reason we meet physical needs is to make people feel loved and cared for because they are loved and cared for by the resurrected Jesus. My kids at school don't listen to me because I'm a great communicator or a great speaker or even a good teacher. They listen to me because I care about them and they know that and they see that every single day. Are they perfect at listening to me? No. Am I perfect at showing care towards them? Not at all. Sometimes I get extremely frustrated with what they do, especially seventh graders. But I still show up for them when they need something. I show up for them day in and day out. And because of that, I've I've been able to see lives change in schools. Walking with people through their lives gets messy. And if we want the best for them, we have to show up for the worst of them. It's a lot easier to celebrate people. It's a lot harder to weep when they weep. But that is a command. That is what we are told as Christ followers to do. A few years ago, I was in a pretty gnarly car accident that I was able to walk away from. Uh, I was rear-ended by a semi-truck on the interstate going full speed. And I got out of my car and was like, what's up? What happened? And was completely like, I was super high on adrenaline. And later I like felt the, the shock of everything. But I was able to get out of my car. And... After that, I had to go to the hospital, get some tests done and all these different things. And during my recovery, I, just, I experienced that I had some really bad anxiety and depression with driving later. And I don't know if you realize it, but our society depends so much on driving. We're not, we don't really live in a walking community. And if you do, God bless you. If you don't, then you probably live close to where I do. Um, but during that time, my people came through. I had people give me rides to places. I had people bring meals. I had people, during that time, I moved in with my grandparents, and they were incredibly helpful in helping me get to therapy for everything. A family here at the church even donated me their extra car while I was waiting for another car. And it's a lot easier for, for you to believe that people want the best for you when they show up in the, for the worst of you, especially when it's inconvenient. I lived in Spartanburg, and there are people in Greenville driving. Like, I lived, like, pretty close to CJ, like, 30 minutes away. Like, that's a pretty inconvenient drive. Nothing's in Spartanburg. So when you drive to Spartanburg to help people in that situation, it was inconvenient. And so I felt the presence of God and the presence of Jesus during that time because my physical needs were getting met when I couldn't meet them myself. Like I said, sharing the gospel doesn't have to be glamorous, but it needs to have blood on it. And meeting physical needs is one of the ways that we get our hands dirty for the sake of the gospel. The third and final way that I want us to look at the Great Commission today is the Great Commission as companionship and the promise of hope. I think the disciples were extremely scared, confused, and anxious about meeting with Jesus after hearing of his resurrection. Jesus commanding them to go to Galilee to wait for him would probably be similar to getting a text from someone saying, we need to talk. And a lot of you just tensed up in this room. I would assume that that's why some of them doubted when they saw him. And when the word doubt is transcribed in the New Testament, it can mean many different things. 
However, this particular instance is the only time that it's used in the New Testament, and it's translated as a lack of confidence. It's important to acknowledge that the doubt that they faced didn't disqualify them from Jesus' commission. Doubts just mean one thing, guys. It just means that we're human. It just means we're human. Doubts give us a chance to acknowledge that we are human and that we can make the choice to return our lives to Jesus. And it's in our doubts that Jesus meets us and reminds us that he is going with us and we can return to him when our doubts take over. Jesus reminded his disciples and he was, that he was going to be with them even in their doubts. I imagine that it came across somewhat like this. I know you're doubting and I know you're scared but this, this is what you're going to do next. And I'm going to be with you while you do it. I'm still going to be with you while you do it. These guys had given up their lives to follow him for three years. And now they were going to continue Jesus' ministry without him in person. And later, as we know, the Lord sends the Holy Spirit at the day of Pentecost. And that is something that we celebrate. Um, and things change forever after that. And this is kind of like the precursor for that. However, the tangible next step for the disciples were to take the teachings of Jesus to the ends of the earth and every person that they met were to hear the gospel preached to them. And when we, when we view the Great Commission through the lens of God being with us, the Great Commission becomes a promise. And the promise of God with us is that we build the church on the life and mission of Christ on the solid rock of Christ. The promise of the Great Commission is that as you go and make disciples of all the nations, he will be with you. And guys, let me be the first to tell you that sharing your life with people can be extremely difficult. Welcoming them in on your Tuesday nights with your messy kitchen and your house full of dog fur is not something that you look forward to. I don't have kids, but I can even imagine it's even more scary when you let people into your life and your kids are running around your house being crazy and you're trying to have a conversation with them. I can only imagine that it's a lot more difficult. <clears throat> thank, <clears throat> thank you, whoever said that. <clears throat> the hope of the Great Commission is that we get to share the hope of the world with others, knowing that he will be with us through it all. We live in a generation, guys, that views everything through a skeptical lens. Me being one of them. And we need evidence to do things. <clears throat> we need proof. I teach my kids at, at school, we do argumentative writing that I don't care about your opinion. I care that you're able to back it up. And our lives as Christians should back up our gospel that we preach. We should show love and mercy and compassion and fight for justice in every way that we can for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of people knowing Jesus and getting to live in the wholeness and healing that Jesus brings on this side of eternity so that we can fully experience it now and move towards being able to experience it later. Some of you may never, ever visit another country. Some of you may never even leave the state. Some of you may never even leave Greenville. But this commission still exists for you. It exists because the gospel is needed in every area of the world. I don't know if you've seen our country lately or our state lately or our county or our city lately, but there is a huge need for love and mercy in our lives. 
And the good news is, you don't have to do the Great Commission alone. That is something that was new to me when studying this, that it was like an individual command. But there are some practical ways that we can start living out this Great Commission now. That you could start living out today, tomorrow, next week. And some practical things that you can start doing to meet physical needs as a pathway to meet spiritual needs. Your fold group could volunteer together. There are churches that do soup kitchen type ministries that you can partner with, and I'm sure they would love to have you. You can partner with a school. You can give clothes to a school. You can help provide food for children who go hungry on the weekend. They take food bags home. You can partner with a church in a low-come area. There's a church right beside the school where I work that gives clothes out every other Thursday or every third Thursday, and they need clothes to give out to people in the community. You can partner with an organization that teaches English to adults. You do not realize the privilege that we have being able to read in our language. As someone who sees this every single day, being able to read can change your life. And you, can, you, don't, you don't get manipulated as easy. You don't get taken advantage of as easy. And so partnering with an organization that helps teach people English or helps teach people to read is such a beautiful thing that we get to do. And it builds relationships because what is better than sharing your life with someone else? You could even start small. Offer to mow your neighbor's grass. You've probably never even met your cranky neighbor who whenever your Amazon package gets delivered to their house, they just throw it away. You may have not ever even met them, but you can offer to mow their grass. You can bring them part of your dinner. You can do small things. And those small things will foster relationships. Because the minute that someone knows you care about them changes their lives. That's all that we ask for as humans. We want, we want to know that people care for us, that people love us, and that we can depend on others, even though it is extremely difficult to do that. Because people will let you down. People will. But because of the grace of Christ, we get to try again. It starts by doing something, guys. Doing nothing, only thing that it does, only thing that doing nothing does is it keeps the kingdom of heaven in your pocket as a possession rather than a gift. I remember when I got sick last year, having people in my corner who showed up made it so much more bearable. Did it take away my pain? No. Did it take away the frustrations I had? No. But it was nice knowing that I had a community of people around me that could be praying and be meeting physical needs such as food, helping pay for bills, helping pay for medical care. And to be honest, guys, that kept me and my wife in church last year. It would have been extremely easy for us to isolate until this got better, until we figured things out. Because why would we want to put that burden on someone else? But we need that, guys. We need that community of believers and people around us that love us and care for us and support us. So when you see a pregnant teenager working at Food Lion as a grocery, as a cashier, or you see the elderly woman working a double at Waffle House just to pay for her bills. Or you see the postal service worker delivering your last minute Christmas present on Christmas Eve. Remember that they also need the promise of Jesus just as much as you do. And that they also need people in their lives that care like you do. Sharing the gospel doesn't have to be glamorous, but it needs to have blood on it. You know, there's something about being told what to do that's hard for me. It always has. And as I get older, I find that the people that I let speak into my life want the best for me. 
I try to ignore the thoughts that say otherwise, and I'm, I don't do that perfectly. Um, but I think in this passage, Jesus is offering that up for all of us. When we share his love and mercy and justice and peace with someone, we are offering up not just a relationship with him, but we're offering up an eternal family to them where they get to be a part of something where they belong, where they never have to prove anything in order to receive the best for them in the person of Jesus. So as we leave today and go out into our world that's wherever you may work, that's full of darkness, that's full of whatever you want to call it, just remember that inviting someone to dinner could change their life. Not for anything that you do, not for anything that you may say, but for the relationships that you build and the promise of Jesus that you share with them. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word and the way that we are able to study it together and the way that we are able to share the promise of you, the promise of your hope, the promise of your gospel, the promise of your love. God, I ask that you will Give us opportunities this week to start building relationships with people, to start meeting people, to start meeting physical needs, to allow us to step out and trust that you are going to do something in someone's life simply because we said yes to you. So Jesus, I ask again that you will stir our hearts this morning and let us respond and worship. In Jesus' name, amen.